The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, wishing you and yours a day of love today and, of course, always. Sappiness aside, we all have great adoration for today's repeat guest. Katrina Rourke is an alum of the office of one former Congressman Bob Inglis, our executive director. Together, they worked on the Raise Wages Cut Carbon Act, a bill that would have directed the revenues from the tax on pollution into a cut in the payroll tax. These days, Katrina hangs her hat at the Climate Leadership Council, where she is the Senior Vice President for Policy and Research, and she also serves as their Executive Director for the Center on Climate and Trade. Last year, you heard her come on the show to talk about the benefits of a carbon border adjustment, especially on U.S. Steel. She's back, folks, to talk about some recent findings, so stay tuned for my conversation with Katrina Rourke. But first, since I'm feeling a tad sappy, I asked all my teammates, what do you love most about the work that we do? Here's what Bob had to say. What do I love most about the work we get to do at RepublicEN.org? Helping conservatives to believe in the power of their own ideas. That's really exciting. And from our engagement director, Angela Lark. I really love it when we get to team up with other organizations like the Conservative Energy Network, Citizens Climate Lobby, and the Climate Advocacy Lab, or even our friends over at Duke University's Sanford School of Public Policy. Working together strengthens the reach of the eco-right movement. This is important because we've heard Republican members of Congress say over the years that if 100 constituents were calling them about climate change, it would be one of their top issues. Our esteemed producer, Price Atkinson. Well, I have to say that my favorite thing about working at Republican.org and the work that we do is when we find other like-minded conservatives just like us who uh, believe in free enterprise but also believe in clean air, clean water, uh, in taking care of the earth and what God left us. And so I will say that you know, discovering those other people that are just like us who are right of center, but also believe in climate change, that want to see action, that want to take action uh, on, the, on the political right. That's my favorite thing about working with this team and the work we do at Republican.org. And my answer is that I love getting to connect with some wonderful guests, many who have grown into friends. But I also really love getting to chat with Price one-on-one -on -one when we do our wrap-ups each week. Listeners, they're so fun. He's so fun. So happy Valentine's Day. Again, wishing you and yours the best. But for now, stay tuned. Listen to my conversation with Katrina Rourke. Listeners, welcome back for so the second time on the show. Our dear, good friend, I almost said dear friend, then it was going to come out Greer. Our dear friend, <laughs> Katrina Rourke. Katrina, welcome back to the show. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you, Chelsea. You, if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know that Katrina was on about a year ago um, to talk about a Climate Leadership Council case study that she had done on um, the car- carbon border adjustment mechanism and impacts on the U.S. steel industry, which we found really compelling. And I know Bob Inglis, your old boss, my current boss, he uses that case study a lot when he's talking to manu- uh, not manufacturers, to rotary clubs and um, co- chambers of commerce, just about kind of a more business angle to why we want to address climate change. So I was really excited when you came out with your new report, Embodied Carbon and Trade, the Carbon Loophole. And so I thought, Katrina, we could just start off by you explaining to listeners who might not know what the carbon loophole is, what you mean by that. You bet. Love to hear that Bob's using the report. Uh, Okay, so the carbon loophole, it refers to the emissions associated with goods and services that are manufactured in one country but consumed in another. The sort of vast majority of climate flows in the carbon loophole are um, shifting emissions from advanced climate ambitious economies, think the U.S., the European Union, the U.K., onto the balance sheets of emerging markets, less climate ambitious countries, think China. The the loophole is a, a sort of consequence of a carbon accounting convention, that was a mouthful, um, whereby we measure the emissions associated with our domestic economic activities. So if we run a power plant or a manufacturing facility that result in carbon emissions, we add those up. What we don't count in uh, in conventional climate accounting are the emissions associated with imported goods. And that's the sort of the essence of the carbon loophole. Um, Major economies like the United States, like the European Union, we import a lot of stuff and we're not counting the emissions associated with those imports. And we just so happen to be importing a good amount of product from countries that aren't as good as we are at manufacturing goods in a carbon efficient manner. I was actually about to ask, who are the largest importers of um, embodied carbon? The European Union and the United States mm. are standout. Our economies are huge, and yeah. so we import a whole lot of product. Um, big economies tend to be that way. A surprise major importer of carbon emissions is China, um, which is building uh, its own economy, uh, You know, importing products, turning it into something higher value, exporting that product. Um, So China is also a major importer of carbon emissions, uh, it turns out. Biggest exporter also, but a major importer. So, and then what kind of impact does that have on our own manufacturing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So the United States has lost a good amount of industrial manufacturing over the last several decades, um, even though we know that we manufacture higher quality, lower carbon goods in the United States. Um, the impact is that we've got um, a lot of overseas competition for our domestic manufacturing industries, um, and that competition is not facing the same standards in terms of um, labor and environmental requirements that our manufacturers here at home face. So it's an economic headwind. Sort of plugging us right back into the study that we did on the steel industry about a year ago, 
Um, because what we need is a new kind of toolkit that recognizes uh, the carbon efficiency of what we do here at home in order to reward manufacturers and put them on a level playing field with these overseas manufacturers that are not as considerate for the climate consequences of their behaviors. Well, and I think that there's a little bit of um, a dichotomy going on with um, even personal responsibility, right? Where people want cheap goods, where especially right now with inflation, costs are high. So people want to buy cheap goods, but we also want to preserve the American economy and preserve American jobs and preserve American manufacturing. So how do we fix this imbalance? Chelsea, I love that question. Um, we've done a lot of a lot of polling on this climate and trade nexus. Um, so your listeners may remember, um, but for those who didn't hear our first go around, we launched the Center for Climate and Trade here at the Climate Leadership Council uh, 11 months ago. Happy um, almost birthday. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and so we've done a lot of polling to better understand this policy area that we're diving into. Um, and what we see is that uh, huge appetite for policy solutions that lower our emissions, if we also consider how those policies reward domestic manufacturers, create jobs in the United States, create more sort of secure economic outlooks for American communities. And so in the in the polling that we've done on climate and trade, uh, we see huge receptivity to new policies that are helpful for climate, but are also helpful for the domestic economic market, um, which means that we see um, a lot of appetite for messaging climate in a new way, um, but also tremendous interest from the electorate in doing things that reward domestic manufacturers. So let's leverage that interest. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've both been around the block and been in the, engaged in this um, issue area for a long time. And you know, I remember even 10, 15 years ago that one of the biggest arguments against climate policy was we can't do anything, we the U.S., until China and India do something too. And to me, with this nexus between climate and trade, we have a real opportunity to not just do something, but to do something that will bring those other countries to the table or that will eventually, you know, force their hand to do something too. So, you know, we're not all going to hold hands and jump into the climate pool together. Somebody has to lead and why not be one of the richest economies in the world and also one of the historic largest emitters. Um, so, you know, I'm a big fan and I know you are too of the, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, which the EU is about to implement. And will that apply to us? If the e once the EU's um, policy is um, activated, yes. So the European Union is on the road to telling us what it means that they will have a carbon border adjustment mechanism. So um, they have passed it through their governance process. Now it needs to go through the sort of like regulatory process. Um, but we anticipate that starting in October of 2023, imports of a subset of energy intensive goods to the European Union will be required to report the emissions associated with their manufacture. To the extent that the US uh, exports those goods to Europe, yes, it will apply to American goods. Um, and so we'll need to figure out how to comply first with their emissions reporting system mm -hmm. uh, associated with imports. Um, and then eventually there will be a fee associated with uh, with 
imports to to the European Union unless we see some sort of climate club emerge and a, and a, and a policy shift happen. And so that is on the horizon. Um, the European Union will be creating competition for imports to be lower carbon, um, which is a, an exciting development um, to see how we can leverage these policies um, to, to reduce emissions on, on imports. The European Union sort of a test case for how this can go. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So I know there has been bipartisan interest at the federal level for the U.S. to also have a carbon border adjustment mechanism. Like reading the tea leaves, do you see something like that as actually being possible in the next congressional session? Or are we just too divided, too partisan, too close to a presidential election to get something big like that done? It's a great question. Chelsea, I know that there's a tremendous amount of interest. So let's let's step back um, and talk about the political coalition that climate and trade policies can unlock. Uh, if you care about climate, you can come to, to climate and trade policies authentically. This is a new leverage point in the global economy to affect global emissions reductions, to bring recalcitrant countries along to the extent that they want access to the U.S. market, um, which is the largest in the world, right? So if you if you care about climate, climate and trade is easy for you. If you care about bashing China, climate and trade is easy for you. The Chinese economy is 300% more carbon intensive than the United States in manufacturing major carbon intensive goods like chemicals or like steel. Um, the U.S. carbon advantage is incredible. China is not held accountable for those higher emissions to manufacture the very same goods that we do. So if you care about bashing China, you can use climate and trade tools to talk about cornering China, to talk about deleveraging China on the global stage. If you care about the sort of um, the opportunity to promote your own parochial industries um, and to find overseas markets, Climate and trade is for you. Um, so the United States, being a really carbon efficient manufacturer of everything from uh, oil and gas to steel to computer parts, um, if we want to export more of uh, of U.S. made product, um, finding ways to partner with overseas markets to reduce the carbon intensity of traded goods, that's going to expand markets for American product. If you care about finding a new way forward on the rules-based trading system because you're you're anxious about seeing the sort of a consternation between between formerly um, cooperative trading partners, um, climate and trade is for you. It can deliver to us uh, the next paradigm for international trade cooperation. And so think of all of these different entry points. Um, we're seeing authentic bipartisan interest in climate and trade policies, um, particularly coming out of the U.S. Senate um, even legislative activity um, in the prior Congress, um, I anticipate that we will see continued um, interest and political cooperation around these themes, whether it will turn into legislation that the president can sign in the next two years. I think open question. We have to see whether policymaking is going to be possible um, in the current Congress. Um, but I do expect full speed ahead. 
However, I do want to point out that the climate and trade space is really interesting because you don't need Congress to do anything to have progress. So right now, the White House is in negotiations with the European Union on a trade deal um, to decrease the carbon emissions associated with traded steel and aluminum Mm -hmm. and to address the oversupply in the international marketplace coming from non-market economies like China. Two birds, one stone. Um, That negotiation is expected to wrap up in November of this year so that we will implement a new trade regime January 2024. Um, That's a pretty expedited timeline. (laughs) That's going to happen. Um, And the European Union and the U.S. are the two primary negotiating partners, but we know that there are additional countries interested in getting in on the action, including the U.K., including Japan. Um, And so we might see more progress um, happening simply because the president can use his existing authorities to start affecting change um, to closer closer ties um, between climate and trade policy all on his own. Well, that's good news. Anytime something can be done without having to rely on the fickle um, mechanisms of Congress. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you said at the beginning. You you mentioned that um, we and also with um, in the context of the European Union's um, border adjustment that we don't really know how to measure the embodied carbon. So you know, putting on your climate trade hat, like how do you think that we're going to be able to rectify this? Obviously, we're going to have to do it. And I hope some smart people are already thinking about how, and you might be one of those smart people already thinking about how. Yeah, yes, thinking thinking about how. Um, this might be a subject of a future podcast too. So um, one of the things that we're, one of the obstacles that we're facing in this climate and trade space is that we we are very good at measuring emissions from individual facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, there are regulatory requirements to do that in every advanced country. We report these emissions to the UNFCCC in a harmonized manner. Um, all of us are measuring the emissions associated with facilities today. Um, we're pretty good at measuring the emissions associated with corporate activities. There are a lot of voluntary emissions measurement and reporting standards that countries are countries that individual companies are taking up to better understand their own climate risks and impacts, um, and we can leverage those as well. Where we don't have a lot of alignment is measuring the emissions associated with individual goods. We know we've got the data for it. We just haven't adopted those accounting conventions yet. So the CBAM is a forcing mechanism. Um, It'll be the first policy test case for for getting to the brass tacks of of measuring the emissions associated with goods. I'm always wary when the European Union is the one pioneering a measurement standard, um, but it'll give us a test case and then we'll be able to improve it over time. Um, It's it's not that we can't, it's just that we haven't yet measured the emissions associated with traded goods. So when you just called it CBAM and it occurs to me that I actually haven't heard anyone refer to the acronym that way. It's kind of like when you um, are a reader and you see a word and you think, you know, how it's pronounced and then you say it and you say it that way for maybe your whole life before somebody tells you you said it wrong. Um, CBAM is a lot easier to remember than C-B-A-M. Um, Katrina, for for listeners who want to l- learn more, you know, what, what resources are out there? Where can I direct them? 
I, I would invite everybody to go to clcouncil.org. We'll continue to publish new research in this area. Um, I'd love to to speak with folks about it. Um, trade is a it's a new frontier for us, um, right? So we've had the Center for Climate and Trade now just 11 months, um, trying to learn more about how trade tools can be adapted to um, to better reduce global emissions. So always eager to learn more, and you can find us at clcouncil.org. Thanks. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I always learn something, but you are good at conveying what I know are really complex and cutting edge. Um, issues in a way that's really understandable. So I appreciate you coming on the show and educating our listeners. And um, I look forward to seeing what comes next out of the council after you get a little break. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Chelsea. I'm going to go have a baby and then I'll be back at it. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be thinking about trade and climate while you are uh, on maternity leave. So <laughs> that's it. That's it. Late, late nights to, to keep pondering <laughs> these issues. Well, thank you so much for all you do and for being on the show. Thanks, Chelsea. Bryce, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. What'd you get from your Valentine? Well, yeah. Or Valentine's, I yeah. should say, because you got so many, so yes. many fans and so knocks many at the door. admirers. Um, you know, I actually had a lovely brunch with some friends on Saturday, um, sort of more of a Galentine's, I guess um, they call it now, Ooh. the cool people. And what is that? Can you explain that? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not a cool kid. Yeah, I guess you're not. Well, you're also not a gal, as okay. far as I know. So it is, um, I actually think Amy Poehler originated the mm -hmm. term Galentine to mean um, a gathering of your girlfriends on Valentine's Day. Um, you know, this day can be pretty fraught for some people, especially mm -hmm. the single people, um, myself included in that. So um, we got together, we had brunch, everybody brought a treat. And then um, the hostess had little boxes and we all got to like take one treat that everyone had brought to bring home a little goodie box. And she gave us flowers, which I know the listeners can't see, but you can see my beautiful flowers. So it was fun. Um, we had a nice time and, you know, I'm still getting back in that mindset of socializing. And so it was nice. There were some people there at, at the brunch that I hadn't seen in a few years. So it was a good gathering. I cannot think of a witty guy thing that we could do for a guys and I, don't, I, I can't even a, a dudes in time day. I don't even I can't come up with anything cool like that. Well, I'll give you until next year to try to come up with something. All right. That sounds good. I can do that. Um, I'll spend the, the full next year trying to. I know you're just going to be thinking about it every day, Price. I sure am. <laughs> I sure am. But I'm glad that you enjoyed celebrating with your uh, with all your friends. Uh, yeah, the weekend. it was so nice. Hope yeah. all our listeners are having a wonderful or had a wonderful Valentine's Day if they're listening to this after our drop day, which is the day, Valentine's Day on Tuesday, the 14th of February. But um, if you are just listening, we appreciate you turning, tuning into us and listening to that wonderful interview with Katrina Rourke, a former colleague of mine and somebody that has played such an instrumental role, I know, at least on the legislative policy side, for our executive director, Robert Durden Inglis. Yes, Katrina is so smart and um, capable, and she just takes 
what are actually pretty complex theories and has a great way of explaining them in um, a manner that makes sense to listeners who might not otherwise have heard of the carbon border adjustment or how it really applies to um, to U.S. manufacturing and um, the world at large. So always happy to have her on and, uh, you know, fellow eco writer um, and also obviously very fond of our boss, um, Bob Inglis. So that was a lot of fun. And now we're going to let her rest on maternity leave for a few months. I hope that she does not listen to her episode until she's back. <laughs> so um, we wish her well in, um, in that endeavor as well. She's somebody that I immensely enjoyed working with. And um, the only thing that we just could not do is Katrina and I can never get into ba- college basketball conversations. That was like just an <laughs> off limit topic between me and her because it never end, it never ended well. It never ended Uh-oh. well, but that's, I'm going to leave that right there. Let's go ahead and shout out some new members. Uh, John R. in South Carolina, Grace H. in Indiana, Kathleen O. in Texas, Leo Z. in Pennsylvania, Megan B. in Minnesota. Please sign up to stand with us, republican.org forward slash join. You hear me say it every week. We need you to do that today because we power in numbers. We need you to stand with us, especially if you are an eco-right conservative. Jels. Come on, be our Valentine. Be our Valentine. Sign up. <laughs> sign up in uh, and be a Valentine with us at, at the Eco Right Speaks, and but more importantly at Republican dot org. And speaking of Eco Right Speaks, a new episode coming to you here. Obviously, it's Valentine's Day as we drop this one, um, but a new episode comes to you every single Tuesday, unless we uh, give you a programming note that we might be off for a week or a holiday or something that kind of creeps up every now and then throws off a recording schedule, but you can listen on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast. You can also go to Republican.org forward slash podcast and every single episode literally layered uh, right there on our website, but your podcast platform, just search eco right speaks. It will be delivered right to you every Tuesday, Chelsea, every Tuesday. And so um seems like a good time to announce that next week's guest is going to be um, Chris Needle. He is a co-founder of the Open Air Collective, and they do um, carbon dioxide removal, CDR, which I just am fingers crossed that this is the next gen um, technology that is going to help us reduce carbon emissions because we obviously need um, all a lot of tools in the toolbox. And so super eager to share that one with our listeners. I'm excited to listen to him and hear him for the first time. So I'll be excited to, bring, to be bringing you a new guest after we had a couple of um, folks that have joined us uh, for repeats, which we always enjoy our repeat guests, especially people like Alex Flint and Katrina Rourke that bring such knowledge on the issues and you know, we also enjoy these newbies, and if you have a suggestion for <clears throat> a new guest, a new topic, uh, something you want to hear or you know listen to us cover, more like Chelsea cover, please drop <laughs> us a line, drop her a line. Um, Chelsea, I'll let you tell everybody where to, how best to reach you, but you are the one that makes this circle uh, twirl round and round is the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Indeed. And I can be found at Chelsea, C H E L S E A, at republicen.org. And, you know, I do get um, 
I, I do definitely get emails. Um, Chris came to us via uh, email from someone who thought that he would make a good guest. So you never know. Um, you know, it's, I'm pretty much open to all and every topic. So um, come at me. We have a lot of openings still for season six, which we are currently in. And I always like to to fill out the roster and to just know where we're going with things. So uh, help me flesh out the schedule for the rest of um, season six, which will run into uh, through the end of June. And then we'll take our little 4th of July break and come back listeners ears probably sometime in August. We appreciate all our listeners in, or I should say investors, because they invest time <laughs> with us every single week to they listen sure to yeah. the fantastic interviews and guests that you bring us. So thank you to our investors and our listeners, Chelsea. And just to pat you on the back, you always do just a great job uh, bringing different kinds of topics and content to the show and to our listeners. So thank you very, very much, Chelsea. Well, thank you, Price, for making it all sound good. You sew it up and put a bow on it, and that is really important, too. So um, always, it's always nice to hear what you have done with the show after the fact. It's fun. It's like little gadgets. It's like Legos. I enjoy putting <laughs> them all together. But until next week, we bid you adieu. We bid you a happy Valentine's Day, and we will talk to you again next week here on the Eco Right Speaks, Shells. That's right. Lots of love to you all. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 